It's your American patriot, DJ Drew Shelton. With insight and analysis of today's rapidly shifting world, we welcome you to the Jewess Patriot Show. Talk Radio's premier Jewish activist, Cindy Gross. Featuring exclusive interviews with today's top newsmakers and trendsetters. Remember, you don't have to be Jewish to be with Cindy. And now, coming from our WGBB studios in the tri-state area, your Jewish patriot, Cindy Gross. Hello and welcome to the Jewish Patriot. I am your host, Cindy Gross. Today's premier Jewish women activists, and you don't have to be Jewish with Cindy. We have a very unique show today, a very special exclusive interview. So join me in my opening pearls of wisdom because I am Zisel Peril, which means sweet pearl in Yiddish. We are coming to you today from our studios in New York with a very exclusive interview with Edward Cox, attorney, and recently reappointed as the chair of the New York State Republican Party. Whether you are in New York, whether you're living in America, or whether you are listening to us around the world, Ed Cox's life has been in the public arena for decades. From his historic wedding in the White House to Trisha Nixon, through his first tenure as the chairman of the New York Republican Party and the last person to actually elect a statewide figure, to his work in Washington, D.C. and around the world. I'm bringing you Ed Cox, the person, the politician, and the common sense voice. Ed Cox doesn't have to be in front of the scenes to accomplish. That was proven in 2022 when everybody in the mainstream Republican Party practically ignored New York State. But Ed Cox, along with some other people, very privately, worked together to ensure victories in Congress. And because of the New York victories, we have checks and balances in Washington, D.C. Because of the work behind the scenes of Ed Cox, statewide elections in a blue state were the closest they were in decades. And because of common sense thinking and coalition building, Ed Cox will be working not just for New York, but for everybody around the country, whether they live in a red and blue state. Because as he says over and over again in the interview we taped earlier this week, crime, education, Worldwide safety and security and power, business, Wall Street, the media, everything that you think about as important, so does your neighbor 
So does someone living a thousand miles away. We all wake up with the same fears and the same hopes. And I hope that you come out of this interview thinking perhaps we have a leader that will finally break that barrier and work with everyone for a world where we feel more secure and where our children have a better future. Welcome back. Joining us now is Ed Cox. Many of you know him many years from his famous family and his history of being a very successful corporate and financial attorney. And you also know him as a former and now current chair of the New York State Republican Party. And we are so honored to have him with us. I think this is one of his first interviews when he's not doing uh, the Cats Roundtable. And we're really honored <laughs> to have him here because, uh, yeah. yeah, because he has always been a friend. And I'll share a story after he's, he uh, officially gets introduced about how I first met him and what a nice person he is. So, Chairman Cox, welcome to the show and congratulations on becoming chair again. Oh, it's a pleasure to be with you again, uh, Cindy. So I like, my audience always tells me and my guests, they like to see the human side of these, especially politicians. And I want to tell you about the first phone call I made to the chairman in 2015. I was very active with a group of activists. Most people who know you know you as a chairman and as a public figure in the political arena and as a very successful attorney. But I, my first interactions with you you were so kind enough when um, in 2015, I was working with a group of activists to fight the Iran nuclear deal then that the Obama administration was pushing. And the late Mike Long, a good friend of yours, the former Great head man. of the, the New yes, York State concern. Conservative Party said, yeah. I'll, I'll connect you with uh, Chairman Cox. And he gave me your phone number and you picked up right away. And I introduced myself and I'll never forget, he said, Sure, I'll do it. Thank you for thinking of me. Nobody ever thinks of me for doing these things. And you came and you sat and you spoke and you really worked um, all around the audience, meeting everybody and greeting. And to me, that says a lot about a leader talking and working with everybody and making them feel so comfortable. Well, that was a great rally and a great cause. So <laughs> pleasure to be there with you. Thank you for asking me. Well, one thing I will say, I am the Jewish patriot, and here you don't have to be Jewish to uh, be a part of the show and a part of the work we do. And I will say you have done a lot of work, both quietly behind the scenes and in front, supporting Israel and the Jewish community in the state of New York that you love so much. 
You bet. I love this state and we need to bring it back. It's the, this is the greatest city and the greatest state in the world. Uh, and we need to, we need to keep it as the financial capital of the world, uh, the cultural capital of the world, uh, the com- commercial capital of the world. And it is just because of the policies of the woke group that are running the show in Albany now. We need to, we, we need a strong Republican party now more than ever. Yes, we do. I will say when you left, uh, you left the New York State Party in fairly good financial condition. And uh, you went on to work in Washington and helping promote New York causes there. And now you took it back at a time when it's kind of a mess here right now. So you really took it. I mean, you're very courageous to take it at a time when it's at its lowest but I, I think you look at it as the best of times and the worst of times. You were very instrumental behind the scenes in helping the congressional New York delegation to victory and actually make a difference in Washington. Well, it was, yeah, the, uh, when I left, I took with me uh, consciously a really complicated, difficult portfolio, and that was to win the redistricting fight that was sure to come up in 2020-2021. I had no doubt that the Democrats who then had supermajorities in the legislature would would want to would 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 want to uh uh dominate the redistricting to gerrymander our members of Congress out of existence. And that is in fact what they did. They the legislature after the redistricting commission failed, uh, uh, stuffed all the member, all the Republicans they could in the four congressional districts, even the Brennan Center, which, as you know, is not the most conservative of groups, said that with their gerrymander, we would have ended up, Republicans would have ended up with four members of Congress. Well, we fought the fight. Uh, Ronald Lauder was very helpful to us by knocking down the amendments in 2021 that would have taken away a good legal argument that we had, the best legal argument that we had, and the one we won on in the highest court in New York State. And we went uh, and uh, and we had to use the um, the Empire Center. Uh, volunteered uh, to make sure the commission got funded. We had to make sure we had the right testimony before the commission went, or went around so what we could use in our litigation, et cetera. And when they filed their gerrymander, within uh, two hours, we were in court in Steuben County upstate, ready to go. And it went through the appellate division up to the highest court, and we won. Everyone said we would lose because the Democrats had appointed uh, Cuomo and Hochul had appointed all the all the members of the highest court in New York State, the Court of Appeals. Well, we won there, and a special master was appointed. Uh, drew very good districts pursuant to the to the uh, uh, terms of the Constitution. Very specific terms that were put in the state constitution in 2014, and those lines gave us New York State nine competitive districts and three generally Republican districts. Well, we won the Republican districts. We, we had a little red wave here in New York. The big red, red wave never showed up nationally, as you know. But uh, that little red wave in New York, because we're behind economically and we weren't doing as well as the country was economically, uh, and 
And also Lee Zeldin's campaign was terrific. He was a terrific candidate, but he'd run out of money because he had a very difficult primary, which he came out of as a true winner. But the $13 million that he had raised, which is extraordinary for a Republican gubernatorial candidate, had uh, he had to spend it. So we set up, and with together with Ron Lauder, we set up uh, an independent expenditure pack. And in the end, uh, we raised $17 million and spent in the last six weeks, which put a little bit of good air under uh, Lee Zeldin's uh, uh, campaign, great campaign. He did very well in Long Island and uh, the and the southern Hudson Valley, where the competitive districts were. So of the nine competitive districts that the special master had drawn, we won eight of them, plus the three Republicans. So we had 11 seats now in the House of Representatives rather than the four that we would have been gerrymandered to. And because our margin now is four seats, uh, that is the margin of victory. So that was, uh, that was that, the redistricting fight, which we won, uh, in the highest court in New York State, plus the, uh, the independent expenditure pact for Lee Zeldin, uh, working with Ron Lauder, uh, gave us those seats. Now we have to defend them. That's the issue. I was going to say. That's the issue. I I look at things and I, I always say local elections count and this year's local elections and now it's petitioning, but I'm going to go into that later. But you just brought up something I want to uh, talk about that I'd say, you know, it's time for the national Republican committees and, and all the organizations and, and the national super PACs to look at places besides those key uh uh, swing states, because let's be honest, it was New York that made the difference. And had they really put some more effort earlier and a little more money into it, then we, we, we were very close in two other congressional races and we could have actually had 13 of them and not 11. They were really very close. And not only that, Joe Pinion, look what he did without the money and without the fanfare and without a, you know, the congressional name in front of him. Look what he did against Chuck Schumer. So I think that one of the biggest uh, lessons I try to tell people when they ask me, what do you want us to do in the future? I say, tell the national committees there are 50 states in an election that make a difference. You never know where the victories come that will make the difference for you. Yeah. And uh, in defending our 11 congressional, yeah, it'd be great if they were 13, but the 11 was pretty good. That was and- good. And uh, it, uh, but we're come, going into a presidential cycle. 2024 it will be a presidential year. We're a blue state. In a blue state, a lot of Democrats show up, more than Republicans, and uh, and they're going to vote Democrat. That's going to make it harder for us to hold on to the, especially the close. There are about five very close seats. The Democrats know this. They're setting up a special in. Uh, who are running the congressional campaigns uh, from Washington, and they're setting up a special war room just for New York, and they pledged $45 million to defeat our members of Congress. Now, and the number one, the number one is the white congressman, Anthony D'Esposito. <laughs> oh, you're absolutely right. Uh, and, and he's fighting well. And we're, uh, then there's Michael Lawler. I was just going to say number two. <laughs> number, I he, love Mike. He, uh, I work with him in the, he, uh, I was chairman of the Keynes campaign in New York. He worked with me. That was when he got started in politics. And then he was my first executive director and did 
did a great job with that. And anyway, he uh, look, these are great members of Congress, but uh, they are at risk because they're they they are in basically Democratic districts. And uh, a lot of Democrats are going to show up to vote in the presidential election who didn't show up last November. So that convinced my team. It's a great team. It's just not me. It's John Faso. It's, it's, uh, it's Jason Weingartner. It's, these are not necessarily names that you would know, but they're very strong individuals who know what they're doing, know how to run the state committee. And, uh, and we're going to, we moved in because of the threat to our congressional districts. Uh, we have, but we also need the, the real orphans here last November were our legislative races. And the Democrats have super majorities in both houses of legislature. If there had been a big red national wave, we would have gained a lot more seats in, in, in the Senate and in the, and in the assembly. Uh, at the moment, we need one more seat in the Senate to break their supermajority and three more in the, in the assembly. We did pick up, uh, one seat, uh, at last November in the Senate and we picked up five seats in the assembly, but they did not have the funds and our, and our, uh, independent expenditure pack, we thought it would help lift them up but it didn't really get down into this where they needed the funds in the in the certainly in the senate races the assembly races we picked up more seats there because shoe leather and a good campaign go a lot far farther uh despite the lack of funds in the smaller assembly districts so we we need to in a tough year in this blue state presidential year we need to have great campaigns well-funded campaigns uh, in order to break the supermajorities and establish Republicans as a strong presence in Albany because this state is going in the wrong direction. The Democratic leadership in in Albany has uh, really been taken over by the progressives, the extreme progressives. And uh, they're, the things that they are doing are destroying jobs, are hurting the, our educational system. Uh, and obviously, we do not have safe streets in New York. So we're just running. Very simply, we want safe streets, we want good jobs, we want good education, and that's what we're fighting for, and that's what most of the people of New York, regardless of their political stripes, I was going to say, call common sense. Want. I call it the common, common sense, sense voters. Ex- exactly. Common sense voters in New York. It may be a blue state, but frankly, it's not West Side Manhattan blue. It is more blue collar. Blue. That's even going to change a little bit, too, now, because they yeah. can't walk out of their house, their apartments, and feel safe. Exactly. And, and this applies to, uh, Africans, Americans, and Hispanics, and certainly Asians. These are the basic issues that they care about. And if we can establish this is what our party for, they, they're for killing jobs. I mean, the deputy leader of uh, the Senate, Mike Gennaris, in his own district, because he was, wants to save his own hide from, uh, Ocasio-Cortez, who overlies his district, he killed 27,000 good Amazon jobs. They were paying more than a hundred thousand dollars a piece. I, that is just crazy. And I can go through the whole litany of jobs. I have, have the whole list over here. I, I wanted to go through <laughs> because I actually, first of all, like you brought up so much in that, that 
really difficult. Each issue deserves uh, an individual answer. And they all go down to common sense. Right now, it's petition time. I'm going to ask you first about local elections because everybody is calling me from all over, especially the city council races. And the city council races, I don't, you know, I tell everybody, you have to follow what's going on in the five boroughs because the world is watching Manhattan. How Manhattan succeeds, you know, successes are, the world's successes are. And that people just tell me, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. No, you don't know what you're talking about. So I want to hear from the chairman. Right now, it's petitioning. And people are having a hard time getting petition people to sign petitions, people to volunteer to go out. I want you to tell people what the Republican Party is offering with these petitions and to get out and to support your local races. Well, the petitioning is almost over. But uh, whenever I went to a Republican event, as I was going in, I was besieged by people asking me to sign their petitions. So, uh, no, they are out there uh, making sure we have good candidates. We have a very good uh, minority leader uh, in the city council named Joe Borelli. And he was a part of our independent expenditure uh, uh, pack, a very effective member of it. He's very effective. And he, at the moment, it has doubled the uh, the number of Republicans in the, the city council to six, and he is joined by two Democrats, which gives that caucus eight. And uh, he can pick up a number of seats that would put him in double digits. Uh, and that's very exciting. It, and the candidates are being recruited. The funds are being put together for them in their districts, and we're going to be focused on that as the state committee to helping uh, Joe Borelli win those seats that he needs to have a very strong uh, caucus. Now, there is a difference among the the Democrats uh, who basically run the city council, and uh, if we have double-digit number of Republicans and uh, and Democrats who join with us, that can be a swing vote for sanity, for common sense in the city council. So our mutual friend, uh, the Manhattan Republican chair, Andrea Casamitidis, uh, is telling me, Cindy, the Upper East Side of Manhattan is ready for change. It doesn't matter if they're young or old. It doesn't matter if they're black or white or Jewish, religious, non-religious. They are fed up with what's going on in their streets, with all the the issues we talk about. Do you feel that we are going to actually have a Manhattan seat Republican? Tell us a little bit about it. Oh, that, that would be terrific to do that. You have to start looking at the council seats. Then you have to look at the assembly seats. See if you can win a Senate seat or two. And then, uh, you know, the East Side used to have a Republican member of Congress going way back, a uh, very prominent member of, of Congress. Uh, and uh, hopefully, as we build up the party uh, in, the, in Manhattan, we will be able to go through that cycle and uh, win those seats. I want to ask you something a little different. What... A lot of people talk about the upstate versus downstate. Now, Long Island should uh, break away from New York. What do you tell people when people give you these ideas about breaking up the state? Well, that's not going to happen. <laughs> uh, although New York, although not is, under your leadership, anyway. No, not under my leadership. Certainly not. Uh, 
during the Civil War, I think there were some thoughts of New York that was just interested in, you know, New York's always been the center of commerce of the world. And, uh, and the Civil War interrupted that a little bit. So there was thinking of, of the, the New York uh, seceding from the uh, Union also for its own purposes. But ne- it will never happen. Uh, New, New York is the is really the financial and the commercial capital of the United States and of the world, frankly. And we want to keep it there. At the moment, it, it has not been the policies of New York that have kept us the financial capital. In fact, the uh, raising taxes, particularly what now another tax is being proposed on the wealthy. And they're going to say, look, I'm fed up. I'm going to Miami. I'm going to join all my friends who are going to Miami uh, and set up business there. In fact, some of the business are moving up. This is, this is New York bleeding. Uh, but we are still the financial capital of the world, but more by default. Hong Kong has the problem of Xi, of the, the Communist Party of China now imposing themselves on Hong Kong. So they have got that problem. At one point, they were doing more IP, as a corporate and finance lawyer. That's my career here in New York. Uh, I followed these things. They were doing more IPOs in Hong Kong than we were doing in New York. Uh, but now, because of the Communist Party through Xi, President Xi of China asserting its authority on Hong Kong. They they are fading in many ways, and Brexit has certainly hurt London as a potential financial capital. Uh, breaking off from Europe has not been very kind uh, to to uh, to the uh, to the city, uh, as they call the financial district in in London. So uh, we are still the financial capital of the world, the commercial capital, but more by default at this point. We need to make sure that New York State has uh, the, does not have the various laws that they have passed, regulations and problems, that, and so we get back our safe streets. We get back uh, a, on a sane fiscal basis in New York State so that we can really become, not by default, but by our strength, uh, continue as the financial and commercial capital of the world. So what's going to be different this tenure versus last tenure about your leadership with the Republican Party? It's a different time. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a different time, and I think it's become clear that even within their own party, the extreme progressives are a minority, uh, and uh, that look, Eric Adams, he ran on common sense policies, and he attracted the working class. Uh, Hispanics and blacks, and they supported him because they're for good common sense policies. They want safe streets. Uh, they want good jobs. They want good schools. Uh, and uh, in fact, I will not forget, I just can't forget the, in the Eric Adams, uh, victory speech when he won the nomination. And by the way, uh, Ocasio Cortez's candidate came in third. Uh, it was the managerial ca- uh, candidate, uh, Catherine Garcia, that came in second and took Manhattan. But the, the, in his victory speech, now Mayor Adams said, it's not social media that wins elections. It's social security that wins common sense. It's security. It's Social Security that wins elections. And 
the snickering in back of him, uh, of his supporters, was really snickering at the Ocasio-Cortezes, the extreme progressives. The point is the Hispanics and the Blacks, particularly the Asians who care about education, uh, these groups are coming our way. Uh, and the, the Jews. Hispanics, absolutely. <laughs> the, the, you know, uh, you know, Mr. Podoritz wrote about this and others. Why are not the Jews supportive of Republicans? They should be. Uh, but there's a socialist past there, as you know very well, that keeps it more on the liberal side. But I think we are going to do very well, particularly among the uh, very principled Jews who believe who are who are religious, and particularly among, for instance, the Russian Jewish population. They understand how bad communism is. That's why they're here. And so I think we will get a good portion of that vote too. But we have to go out and show up. We have to be, uh, we have to be showing up and saying, you know, this is what we stand for. This is what we're about. And that's why you should vote for us and not for the, uh, the powers that be here uh, in New York, which are the Democrats. So as the Jewess patriot, I do have to ask you, and living in an area where we have, I have a Jewish Republican County executive, I have a Orthodox Jewish assemblyman, the first one actually, who even when he took his oath, you uh, quoted from the Talmud in Hebrew, uh, I am very close friends with the first Jewish black woman legislator. Yet on Long Island, we feel many of us, it's because it's not a party issue. We feel this rise of anti-Semitism and many people who, including family members, uh, are Holocaust survivors still living and they feel like they're living in pre-Holocaust times. I want you to speak to them, not as a Republican leader, but as a common sense leader and someone who is a friend to the Jewish people. What will your, is your leadership going to do to keep Jews from leaving New York to, to places where they feel living will be safer? The rise of crime here has been astronomical. It has been. Uh, and the focus is on cashless bail. That's what people talk about, which I don't think most people understand. They just understand somehow that made us less safe. Uh, but you really need to have common sense criminal laws uh, passed by the legislature in Albany. At the moment, they're not going to do that because, again, the extreme progressives control uh, the uh, both houses of the legislature. Uh, and it's not just bail. It is also the raise the age. That is, you're still considered, considered juvenile uh, at a, an older age, and that means that when people are doing criminal things, they can have uh, uh, older teenagers carrying the guns because they know they're not going to be prosecuted as adults. Uh, and you have uh, those older teenagers using those guns at each other, et cetera, and making the streets unsafe. So. Uh, and you have the discovery laws, which have been very much, uh, uh, oriented towards the defense council in a sense that a lot of 
assistant DAs who are very good are leaving to go into private practice because they just can't make the cases uh, the way the new regulations work with respect to discovery laws. So you really need a return to common sense, to common sense criminal laws in Albany. And on that, we have the high ground. The Lee Zeldin campaigned on that and, uh, and on that issue, the crime issue, uh, Governor Hochul, you see us move to, we need some small changes with respect to the, uh, the cashless bail. Well, they're just small changes. You need a complete overhaul to make sure the criminal laws are not pro-criminal, but are for getting the, the, the criminals who keep doing the crimes over and over again. It's revolving door justice. And uh, we need to have strong district attorneys with strong offices supporting those criminal laws. And we also need the highest court in this state uh, laying down the law, if you will, with respect to to criminals uh, and to being pro-victim and against the criminals. Uh, and at the moment, you find uh, for their own purposes, the uh, the Senate that has to uh, give advice and consent with respect to any gubernatorial uh, uh, appointment to the highest court among the seven judges on our highest court. Uh, they are trying to impose uh, their progressive uh, uh, will on the governor and saying you have to pro protect a pro, and they made made it clear, a pro-defendant uh, 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 judge to be the chief judge of the highest court. And that's what the whole fight about uh uh, ju about Justice LaSalle was. He was deemed to be uh, too much middle of the road, common sense, uh, following the law, uh, as opposed to trying to change the law to be pro-defendant. And uh, it is a violation of separation of powers for the Senate through their advice and consent role to try and impose on the governor who she should uh, nominate to be the next chief judge of the highest court. So, look, this is not just a matter of the cashless bail laws. It's a matter of the whole panoply of criminal laws that have been changed in the wrong direction. And it's a matter of having a governor who's got enough guts to say, no, I get to nominate. You don't get to nominate. Uh, you are violating separation of powers, and I'm going to put up a strong, good judge who is just uh, follows the law and does what uh, the courts are supposed to do and not reinterpret the laws to be pro-defendant. Well, we have a, a senatorial race coming up pretty soon. You must be thinking about who you would like to put up for it against Kristen Gillibrand. We, we do. And I think she, first of all, you could see uh, uh, her hat. First of all, What's her name? Uh, what has she done? Uh, Jill, what's uh, you never? You know what? I've heard it pronounced so many different ways. I don't even know what, how I want to pronounce it because I'm seeing you know even every anchor says it differently. Uh, she is invisible. Most people don't know that we have a second senator, uh, uh, and she lives in Washington. Uh, no one knows what she stands for. I think except 
for with respect to the military? Didn't she have something to do with that where she wanted to undermine some, whatever it was? Uh, she has been invisible. Uh, there are rumors that Cuomo might run against her in a primary, uh, that Ocasio-Cortez may run against her. Uh, but we need to find a very good candidate uh, that is willing to take her on. And uh, this is, even though it is a presidential year when a lot of Democrats will show up, I think given her lack of really... Uh, I, uh, name ID and also her lack of any sense of what she really stands for, a good candidate under the right circumstance can in fact beat her. And we need to find that candidate. Well, I will tell you, if you want an issue, it's the education issue and I could help. Well, we'll talk about this off, but how you will be able to pick up uh, lifelong Democrats, mostly minority to vote presidential down the line red because where they're living and what is going on in those schools. And if we take this on in a very positive way, that would be an amazing turnaround. Even if we get close, like Lee didn't win, but Lee got so close, those congressional races won. You know, we'll do it little by little, but the education system using a child's brain from kindergarten to second grade and teaching them hate and, and lies versus the facts of history is so key. And I know for a fact, working with so many local campaigns right now, I hear this, I'm getting the phone calls from people and it's key to success, not only in our blue state, but in blue states all across the country. Well, Virginia was a blue state and, uh, this corporate fellow who didn't know a thing about politics, uh, named Glenn Youngkin, uh, decided that he would leave his very successful career um, as investor with the Carlisle Group and run for governor. Uh, we interacted with him early at his request. He wanted us to run him through all the questions that we had about running governors in blue states. And we did that. He, uh, he was a quick learner. And the, that's in that in Virginia, which had become a blue state, uh, the education issue really surfaced in a big way and he grabbed it and ran with it and is doing a very good job with it. And that is a sleeper issue, uh, certainly nationally and here in New York state, it's a very big issue. Good schools are what we need. Uh, and, uh, there are ways to do it. I I authorize, I set up the whole system of authorizing charter schools and for 10 years uh, was in fact the final authorizer at the State University of New York as chairman of uh, the committee uh, on charter schools, which uh, when after the law passed in 98. And guess how Governor Pataki got that passed through the Democratic Assembly? Uh, the Republicans ran, uh, were in control of the state Senate, so he didn't have to worry about them. But guess what he did? They wanted a raise. And he said, okay, you want a raise? Uh, uh, give me my charter school bill exactly the way I want it. And it was a good charter school bill. It was drafted by my, uh, by my good friend and really, uh, a partner in the things that we did over the last couple of years. And in fact, in being chair of the party, that's John Fasso. And, uh, it was a very good law 
and if if we and we implemented it right, and we've got a good system of charter schools as a right as, but the way Governor Pataki got it through the assembly was, you get your raise if I get my charter school. Now Governor Hochul didn't understand that. She gave the legislature a raise and asked them for nothing. I mean, you you need to have a practical sense of how to wield power if you're going to be the governor in uh, in in uh, in New York. Uh, I hope she's learning because she's got to put up a really strong fight to make sure that we have the right chief judge uh, of the of our highest court here in New York State. We only have a few minutes left, so I'm going to go a totally different route. Uh, I want one of my favorite childhood memories was sitting at Shea Stadium and sitting not too far away from a very big baseball fan who you happen to know as a, a father-in-law and uh, history will show that president Nixon was an incredible president, both internationally and nationally. And it also happens to be one of my favorite presidential libraries to visit. I mean, it's like, no, it's, it's terrific. It, it's like you go there and you see the little house, like everything today is so modernized. It takes away from the feeling of, of the, the person and it's like buildings. His is like you feel, you know, how he grew up, you know, poor and, and how they lived. And, the, of course, the dog. And, of course, pictures of your wedding. You had a famous wedding at the White House. How is How are the Nixons doing today? Who's around? Oh, well, you know, uh, the, Doug Schoen wrote a book, The Nixon Effect. In, in essence, saying he's still having an impact on our politics. His administration is. And uh, he, of course, was the pollster for a Democrat, Bill Clinton, uh, uh, when Clinton uh, was running for president in 94. But the I, in order to get my point across about what Biden should be doing with Ukraine, I wrote an article for the Wall Street Journal and basically, it described what President Nixon did to save Israel in the Yom Kippur War, and it was, and it it really had lessons for what Biden should have been doing, uh, and hopefully he's finally coming around to it. But uh, as you know, the Yom Kippur War on the highest holy day of the Jewish calendar. Uh, the Mossad said, don't worry about anything. They made a mistake. Uh, and Israel is not prepared for an attack by Egypt and by Syria. And they lost a lot of equipment and they needed to have uh, re to be resupplied and only one country could do it. And uh, President Nixon said the order resupply them. And then he found out, well, the Air Force uh, Defense Department doesn't know whether they should do this or that. And the Air Force saying, well, what plane? Should we use C-130s or should we use uh, C-5As? He gave the order. Anything that flies, get it going. And that was the order of the president. Only the president can do that. Uh, and uh, as a result, everything that flowed with as much equipment as Israel needed and went on the uh, attack because it knew the equipment was coming, uh, successfully pushed back the Egyptians and the Syrians. And then Moscow, who had supplied the, uh, the Egyptians and the Syrians, uh, said, OK, we're going to send troops. 
what did Press Nixon do? I went to DEFCON 3. You do that, we're going to send troops. Guess what? Moscow backed down. That's what Biden should have done right at the start. The minute uh, Russia started making noises that they're going to go nuclear, do this or that, you don't say, oh, I'm scared of World War Three." No, you have to. The Russians only respect one thing, that's strength. I learned that personally on a trip in 1972 that Trisha and I made to the then Soviet Union and dealing with their KGB uh, and the things that we had to do while we were over there. Uh, you can only show strength uh, with with the Russians. And the Biden has shown weakness. And that is why this war has been prolonged in the Ukraine. So, and by the way, the Arabs never attacked Israel again, uh, as you know, after that, because of the strength shown by the United States. And, uh, and Israel has prospered economically since then. And in fact, until for 40 years, uh, the the Russians stayed out of the Mideast because of what President Nixon did in the Yom Kippur War. If you add 40 to 73, you end up with Obama's uh, uh, invitation to the Russians. Oh, come back in and help us with our chemical red line. Uh, huge mistake. Uh, and so the Russians are now in in Syria, uh, causing a lot of problems. Uh, in fact, protecting the shipment of of missiles across Syria from Iran to Hezbollah, etc. So it is um, uh, it, it, Obama administration did not understand the issues with respect to Iran. The nuclear deal was a huge mistake. Inviting the Russians into the Mideast were a bit, was a big mistake and just showing weakness generally on the world stage, which Biden has continued, is a big mistake. Uh, any final words you'd like to uh, share with our audience, your followers, people that are very excited about your tenure and the future of the Republican Party or common sense uh, working together, common goals. We need the support of your listeners so that we can have safe streets, good jobs, and good education here in New York State. It's that simple. Otherwise, New York State, over the, especially in this cycle, it is really a critical cycle. Uh, we need all the support we can get to stand for common sense policies that basically will bring New York State back as, so that it can stay as the as the great state, the great city that New York City is and uh, and continue to be the center of the uh, financial center of the world, the commercial center of the world, the cultural kind of the media center of the world. Uh, we need to stop the exodus of our of our very productive citizens from this state. You have an open mic here anytime you want, and you have my support on and off air. I know that you are dedicated to working with everybody here, regardless if they are Democrats, because we know that we need every single individual, regardless of what part of the state you live, what you do, 
what your background is. We need everybody to fix New York right now. And I thank you for the courage of taking the leadership. I know it wasn't an easy decision. I know a lot of people would run away from this, not take it on. And uh, we thank you for uh, helping us and um, saving us because right now we are in survival mode. You bet. That's it. That's what it is. You said it very well. Thank you, Sydney. Thank you. Just like that, the hour flows by. My closing pearls of wisdom are for each and every one of you to have a safe holiday, Easter, Passover, whatever you're celebrating. And if you're not even celebrating, think about what this holiday season means. It's a rebirth. It's springtime. It's family. It's faith. It's the simple things in life that actually make a difference in the long term. We will be on vacation the next two weeks because of the holiday season. So tune in to us, download us anytime, anywhere, through iHeart and Spotify, through Jewish Podcast out of Jerusalem. And we'll see you in a couple of weeks back here at the studios of WGBB. Long Island, New York, serving the tri-state area.